In August, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, otherwise known as the IPCC, released its sixth report on climate change. It says that we are now essentially locked into a hotter future. How hot depends on what the world does now. 197 countries meet in November in Glasgow, Scotland, for the 26th Conference of Parties, also known as COP. More than for anyone else on this planet, the decisions that are made or not made will especially affect every single young person. Are they making themselves heard? Is education giving them the tools to do something about our climate future? I'm Clara Young, and I work in the OECD's Education and Skills Directorate. Today, I talked to two young climate education activists. Shreya KC is 23 and from Solunkumbu, Nepal, in the Himalayas. She was a delegate at COP25 in Madrid, Spain in 2019, and is now the National Network Coordinator for Nepalese Youth for Climate Action. Eleanor May is 18 from Ivy Bridge, England. Eleanor is a campaigner for the UK's Teach the Future, which is a movement by secondary and tertiary education students to improve climate change education in the UK. Shreya, Eleanor, thanks for taking the time to do this podcast. Thank you very much for inviting. So delighted to be here. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me here. It's great to see both of you. Uh, Eleanor, you're in the middle of Freshers Week at Sheffield University in England. How's that going? Yeah, so it's been really interesting being with people in a almost post-COVID world um, getting used to, I've seen some people call it the neo-normal. It's been an interesting transition. And uh, what are you studying? So I'm studying a degree called Quantitative Social Sciences. So it's going to be a mixture of data and research methods and politics and sociology. Okay, that's great. Shreya, you're studying for your bachelor's degree in environmental science, or maybe you're finished and you have your degree already? Yes, I completed my bachelor's in environment science this year, just a few months ago. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, Shreya, tell us when you first heard about climate change. Uh, it was on the first day of my class in environmental science that I learned about the horrifying impacts of the climate crisis. At that time, I had thought it was already too late for me to do something. I was scared and hopeless. But when I attended a conference on climate change, I learned more about climate change. And after that, uh, I have devoted my time to grassroots label campaigns, organized strikes and youth consultations. Today, after five years, I still feel furious to see that still not enough actions are taken. But I'm satisfied with the fact that I have been able to do something good for the planet, and that gives me peace. Uh, climate anxiety followed by climate education led me to be a passionate climate activist. I think no one should go through climate anxiety to begin to work for nature and climate. Uh, climate education is important to inspire younger people to join the climate movement and work together to reach a bit closer to our common goal of achieving climate justice. And uh, Eleanor, what about what about you? When did you first become aware of climate change? So I was fortunate in my education that in primary school, so when I was, you know, kind of five to 11, there was a teacher at my school who was really interested in the environment. And so he really engaged us with talking about endangered animals and kind of told us about this idea of climate change. But then when I got to secondary school, because it was only this one teacher who was including this in our curriculum, 
it entirely dropped off. Climate change just wasn't mentioned. And I mean, there was about a page of it in science and about another page in the textbook in geography. And that was it for GCSEs. There was no mention of it. Um, and so when I heard about the strike starting, um, like I remember reading articles about Greta Thunberg back in, it was would have been kind of autumn 2018 now, I believe. Um, and I remember reading about that and thinking, goodness, I remember how urgent climate change felt when I was younger. Surely it can't, you know, surely action has been taken. And then the more I read and the more I thought about it, actually, the situation was really dire. And so I've been doing um, climate campaigning and helping run climate strikes for almost three years now. Um, and through that time, I've really realised in school just how little there is talking about it when and how much there is to talk about even. Shreya, what, what, what are the effects uh, of climate change you're seeing now in Nepal? Now I live in Lalitpur, which is close to the capital city. Uh, so the air here is quite polluted. Sometimes the air quality index is above 350, that is above hazardous level. Uh, climate change has changed the pattern of the monsoon and brought more intense rain. The monsoon season in Nepal normally begins from June 10. And last year, the monsoon was recorded two days later, and this year it was three days later. And there is high rainfall in a very short period of time, which has increased the number of flash floods and landslide. And it has taken lives of many people and affected the livelihoods. Further, new insects and invasive species have been seen in the agricultural field, which has reduced the production. Altogether, the problems such as drought, forest fire, which was there before climate change, it has been magnified by the impacts of climate change. And I think it has greatly exacerbated the poverty level and inequalities of opportunities. Now, Shreya, you were one of the people uh, who were organizing, who was organizing something called the Mock Cup last year. Could you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, When the... COP26, the UN conference to climate change was postponed in 2020 to fill that void. Uh, young people of the globe came together and organized mock up. And in that uh, two week online conference, we had more than 330 delegates from 130 countries. Uh, more than 50% were the delegates from Global South, and they were women, the representation that we need in the real climate change negotiations. And in that two week event, uh, we have prepared ambitious but uh, yet realistic policy acts and uh, called mock-up treaty. The six main themes were climate education, climate justice, climate resident livelihoods, and this is the climate action plan of country, biodiversity. And uh, uh, right now we are working to implement at least one uh, part of that treaty in, in almost 35 countries. What, what were the main points? What are the main points of the climate education treaty? In climate education, like uh, like as we say normally, the main thing is we want integrated and mandatory climate education in every parts of the country. Like that should not be in another expense. And like every country should ensure that all school age children, regardless of how they are schooled, should be given opportunity to learn about their connection with nature. And that should not be limited uh, with the knowledge and practices of indigenous peoples. 
Right. So that everybody should have uh, knowledge about climate change, just like Eleanor did in primary school from the beginning. Yes. Okay. Now, the OECD has a survey called the Program for International Student Assessment, otherwise known as PISA. And in 2018, an average of 88% of high school principals in 66 countries reported that climate change was on their school curriculum. And over 60% of students who took the test said they could discuss the consequences of economic development on the environment and things like how carbon dioxide emissions affect global climate change. Now, why isn't this enough? I could direct this question to Eleanor and then maybe after that, Shreya. So it's not enough because it really depends on how climate change is being taught um, with the campaign I'm part of, Teach the Future. We ran a survey in the UK using an app called TeacherTap, which um, is available for any teacher to download. And they get asked this question each day, a different question that they can respond to. And so in our survey of, we got a sample of 7,682 UK teachers. This was in February 2021. We found that 70% of those teachers felt that they have not received adequate training to educate students on climate change. And so it's a question of actually how is this being taught? Are teachers able to teach it in a way that isn't just fear-mongering but can empower students And also, what subjects is it being taught in? Because, as I said, in my experience, I was fortunate that I took geography at GCSE because that is an optional subject. But even then, there was only about one page that related to climate change. So it was easy to skip over, but it was also presented as a debate in a balanced argument (laughs) whether this is good or bad. Um, We had to write about whether oil spills in the Nigerian Delta were good or bad and, you know, whether things like fracking were good or bad, but it had to be balanced. And you can actually say, actually, people's livelihood being taken away from them and the area around them is actually insanely damaging to so many people, including the environment, and that no amount of money given to them will make up for it. So... Yeah, in my experience, climate change is taught really, really poorly. And that's in the few subjects that it is taught. Climate change affects all aspects of lives. And it really needs to be communicated in such a way. There needs to be climate change education in all parts of the curriculum, in all subjects, because it relates to all parts of our lives. That That is one of the things that Teach the Future is is asking for, right? That climate change be integrated into all subjects not just math and science. Yes, absolutely, because currently what we're missing out on is that understanding of how it affects people in different countries, the understanding of the cultural impact of it. Um, and so no part of my education has discussed what it might be for someone like Shreya in Nepal. Like, I, I have no clue. I'm, so Shreya's conversation here will be enlightening for me. But also it's about storytelling. Humans are so good at conveying different emotions and different experiences through storytelling and that's how we communicate best and yet there's nothing in the way of that there's no mention of climate change in English or drama or the arts at all which means we're really kind of falling behind. And Shreya you didn't encounter uh, climate change until you got to university. 
I had seen impacts, but I didn't know like okay, like this was the impact of climate change because I didn't have that knowledge. Education about climate change, I mean. There was about like we read about acid rain, water pollution, sound pollution, like these things, but we didn't know about the whole picture, right? So how it is going to impact us at a broader level. So that was missing. Right. Can you describe uh, for us the work that you do as a campaigner, just to give us an idea of of the things that you do, Shreya? As I strongly believe in the power of climate education and don't want young people to go through climate anxiety as I did, I tend to spend more more part of my time educating young people of schools and colleges about climate change and inspiring them to join the movement. Along with it, we organize protests and strikes, work together with the community people to do different kinds of things in the community level so that it is not top to bottom but bottom to top approach and it will be sustainable and we lobby the policies uh, so that the the policies that are made is implemented effectively it is not just in the papers but it is also in the behavior so it's very very it's very varied the work that you do when you're teaching children what are the things that you notice that you do that has the biggest impact on on your students that brings home to them that they can do something about climate change uh like in school like i taught two years in a, a local school uh, i taught science and environment and in that we opened an eco club and after working like for a few months what the students did was they pressured the school to be plastic free, uh, free school and the school introduced uh, rules that the students cannot bring plastic packaged food in inside the school territory so that was a big change right and uh, elador can you describe for us uh, some of the work that you do as a campaigner for teach the future what are some sort of everyday things that you do so teach the future is a little different to what you are involved in and so we've been doing a lot of work firstly raising awareness and doing media things like this to talk about actually what climate education currently is like and how it could be so much better but also we've done lobbying as well and so we have a petition of climate education that has over 25,000 signatures now as well as a letter template that people can send to their MPs or um representatives in other parts and like in the devolved nations and we have written letters and got some signatures for them to send to well Gavin Williamson before now um who was the secretary of state for um education but now there's been a reshuffle and so we're going to have to start that work again you know getting through to them we did manage to have a meeting with Gavin Williamson last week i think at last which took about a year of pushing and emailing to be able to get through and so hopefully we are on the radar a bit more but again as there's been that cabinet reshuffle we're going to have to start that pushing again I want to ask about um you're both coordinating and organizing with people sometimes I mean often from different countries on different campaigns and how tricky is that I mean have you encountered that people have different ways of doing things because they're from different cultures and that that can cause some misunderstandings or even conflicts that you have to deal with especially virtually yes i can totally relate with that because in mocop we work with delegates from different countries from latin america to asia to africa so the context of everyone is different right and they have different privileges with them and mostly in countries like in latin america and even in asia like japan philippines uh, there is so hard to protest to organize strikes uh, like 
that is the thing and but in case of nepal in some of the african countries it is not that hard like we can go in the streets and we can protest right so there are different things and i think that sometimes uh, brings the challenges because we don't know like what kind of thing is risky to one and which kind of thing is beneficial to one so for example one thing uh, can be beneficial for nepal but that thing can be harmful to the delegates living in colombia right so that is the problem so now this is a question for both of you what did you learn at school that equipped you to work this way you know with people from all over the world or from people you know on the other side of the country but working on the same same campaign and working on something as complex as climate change that binds together issues with local and global dimensions so i'm not sure that there was anything that did prepare me and that's one of the things i'd like to see change about the English education system is that we need more of those transferable skills, those IT skills, the team working skills as well. And so when I first got into campaigning, I was fortunate that we were able to attend a workshop done by a local journalist to tell us about how councils work and about how to talk to councillors to talk about the issues you wanted to talk about. And so I think there's been a huge learning curve to it that I have so many more skills now than I ever could have dreamt of having just from school education alone. And uh, what about you Shreya? Yeah, as I said before like I didn't know anything about climate change till I was in plus 2 like when I began bachelor's then only I got to know about that. In school like we read about the importance of environment conservation and those things but like it was only limited to theory like it was limited to marks it was not in the practical context we did not used to practice anything so i think that didn't make much impact or say i, I said that negligible impact in me but in my family like uh, my mom used to use a lot of things like clothes uh, plastics and buy local products as possible I think it was more like saving money than the consciousness of reducing the carbon footprint of the products and I grew up using few resources and worshiping trees and gods uh, trees and sun as a part of our religion we had cats and dogs in our home so I think these things made me close to nature and to be more compassionate with other living beings and these values have helped me in like translating my awareness There's something else that I'm interested in. We're t- talking about the practical dimension when you're talking about how uh that was lacking in what you were doing in school. Is that leap from becoming aware of climate change and perhaps even being knowledgeable about climate change to sort of this intermediary step of psychologically even believing that me as an individual can make a difference? that's it's quite a big step and how did you make that leap eleanor yeah so i first attended a climate strike which was when i really kind of thought maybe i can make a difference so when i first attended the climate strike in goodness, february 2019 i had no clue where it was going to go i had no clue how many people would be there i was thinking oh maybe there'll be 100 people or something and there was at least a thousand and it was this great turnout and everyone was so enthused about actually getting change to happen and it was really through that kind of experience i thought actually maybe that is going to be the opportunity for change maybe we can do this so you know i first started to get my voice heard during that and the few months that followed meeting with councillors and other kind of politicians but then after a few months of striking and council meetings you thought 
actually they're not listening are they they're just all talk no action and so it's really been a bit up and down in terms of can I make change um but in terms of like public opinion there's definitely so much more awareness and support of the change that is needed and so yeah I really think there is a difference that has been made by youth climate campaigners definitely and what about you Shreya this this issue of agency and being feeling that you can make a difference and do something about it how did that happen to you yeah like uh, we organized a cleanliness campaign together with the local school around 15 uh, different students like they were reading class 5 and class 6 and we gathered like they were all around 20 people joining the cleanliness we did that in national cleanup day and there was a street that is uh, very much polluted like most of the people come there and throw their waste and like those people who walks in that way like they complain like okay like there is waste there is like uh, the local authorities are irresponsible but they are not but they were not doing anything so we stepped in and like by taking around four hours of our morning we cleaned that area and like after a few days like it was so clean but and we collected all the waste from that and we uh, gave it to the local authority and we made them realize okay then this is your responsibility but we did that so this is this will be the first and last time that we will clean this uh, we clean this uh, the, this street uh, from next time onwards, you will be responsible for that. And did, did you organize, did your school organize that or how, did, how was that organized? Uh, like it was not organized by school. Like we were around four to five young people and we uh, went to that school and asked them if uh, the students of that school wants to volunteer in that campaign because like the, the, that school also comes in that locality. And from that event, it made me realize that no matter how small it is, it is a change and we can do that. So what I'm hearing from you is that when you gained a sense of being able to do something about it, it was simultaneous with actually doing something, physically taking action. And that's a leap that not everybody makes. What we saw in PISA 2018 is that uh, young people care about the environment. An average of 78% of students in OECD countries says, they said that it's important to them. But when we asked them whether they could do something about climate change, then that number fell to 57%. And in some countries, it was less than half. It seems to be quite a big gap between caring about climate change and then actively doing something about it. You must come up against that quite a lot certainly not with yourself but with other people around you yeah like i agree with that like there are lots of people around us also like who said that okay you are doing great job shreya you're doing a great job working for the environment climate the planet but when i ask for their support with when i ask that okay then we are organizing this strike please join us we are going to the government people to ask these things please join us no like there are a few people's like who doesn't want to step in but just want to stay in the background and appreciate <laughs> And what about you, Eleanor? I think it's an interesting question. Like, do people feel like they have the agency to change or create change, rather? I think it really varies how people view climate change. And I think people's idea of the scope of it can really impact what their answer will be for that kind of question. Because for me, sometimes I think there's too much focus on 
personal actions you can take to affect your own lifestyle because being vegetarian or vegan or buying completely plastic free can be expensive and time consuming and is completely not accessible for a huge range of people and so I definitely think that there can be too much focus on individual action and sometimes it's like people say that yeah I really think I'm doing great work and they are they really are if they are managing to change their lifestyle in a way that can bring positive change but at the same time governments and huge multinational corporations are the ones who the burden ought to lie with and I think it's almost the wrong way around that the people who are trying to work getting governments to change actually feel like they're creating the least impact because they're facing so much resistance and they actually feel less like they can impact and create change even if they have already made those lifestyle changes for their own lives. Is this this sense of quite fragile balance between feeling that one can do something about it and also a, a sense of helplessness? Is that how you would describe eco-anxiety? Because I noticed that in the Climate Emergency Education Act that Teach the Future has put forward, it mentions that teachers should be trained to identify and support students who have eco-anxiety. Can you tell me about that and how does it manifest itself and what can teachers do about it? Yes, absolutely. And so one of the criticisms that we face online a lot when we say young people should be taught about climate change is that people, our critics say that, oh, but then won't they just get climate anxiety? Won't they then feel more scared? But in reality, I think no. I think that students want to learn more about the environment. We have a statistic from SOS UK, I believe, that says 68% of students in the UK want to learn more about the environment from a survey done a few years ago. Um, And so there is really this demand for it. But also, if students are learning about it and actually learning truly about the effects in a space where they're surrounded by their peers who are also having the same thoughts and feelings, where they can be supported by both their peers and by their teachers, then we won't feel so alone, we won't feel so isolated, we won't feel so hopeless. Because currently, all the people I know who've gotten into climate change um, have suffered from climate anxiety, like Shreya was saying herself, that it's because she found out about it late in life and it felt like she, she had to do it of her own volition and that you know there was no one out there to support her or to talk to her about it. And so if it wasn't just this thing that you stumbled upon and then felt alone in your research and your action, then we could actually build community around change and that we could all support each other through it as, as opposed to facing climate anxiety by ourselves. Shreya, do you agree? Yes. <laughs> How can teachers know when somebody is suffering from eco-anxiety and then what should they do? I think in most of the cases, like the teachers, they are not aware about climate change and and that also might affect that, whether they can differentiate the climate anxiety in the students or not. But uh, in my case, what was the thing was, uh, I used to be alone, like I don't, I didn't want to be in the crowd uh, with the peoples, but, and I used to be alone and think about things, uh, reading articles, seeing the pictures, seeing the uh, scary videos, right? So I think the first thing is the loneliness, that like we want, we tend to isolate ourselves from the group of people. 
and the next thing is like we tend to speak less i was around 17 to 18 years old when i knew about climate change because i i read science in my higher school i used to think that i know much about the science things and when i knew that okay there was a climate change science and i didn't know about that i felt that i didn't know anything anymore so that made me feel that you don't know anything like that also like a bit uh, discouraged me to speak in front of people to share my feelings with the teachers and other things the first thing is we tend to isolate ourselves and the second thing is we tend to talk more because we think that we don't know anything more <laughs> now we talk about becoming global citizens and uh having skills to deal with uh living in an interconnected world what what at the OECD we call global competence do you feel that you are global citizens what's the difference between what your attitude is now towards the planet and before you became globally competent and acquired these skills so i think that in terms of being like a global citizen i think that for me that's meant learning just about how much responsibility the uk has for the state of affairs currently so we learned an abysmal amount about colonialism in school considering how much impact that has on the world still to this day and so learning about climate justice myself has meant that and becoming a global citizen as you say has meant that i've learned actually colonialism is still kind of rampant throughout the world and that the uk owes so many countries especially in the global south and that we have this responsibility or this burden to bear that we need to be changing more than other countries do because we've had this long historical drawn out impact as a nation and as a colonial force i think there's also that sense of analyzing and understanding so many of the inter- interconnections all over between countries uh, between the local and global that is part and parcel of becoming a global citizen or somebody who thinks with global competence shreya do you have any thoughts on that yes like the case of nepal is completely different opposite than that of uk we have very less uh, carbon emissions but yet we are in the top vulnerable countries list uh, like nepal has around 45% of the land as forest resources and it contributes a lot to sink the greenhouse gas emissions right so i think like for us like being a global citizen means to not just to pressurize the developed countries to reduce their emissions but also to step in to reduce our own emissions because that is not zero and that will grow as we continue to develop right so, and for the first thing is that and another thing is i think we need to lead in the adaptation sectors because we have various what's a unique and natural best solutions that we have inherited from our ancestors so i think we need to lead in the adaptation sector by encouraging those things or by practicing those things often Shreya, Casey, Eleanor, Andrade, May, thanks very much for being on Top Class Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, same here. Thank you for having me. I got to learn more. <laughs> I'm Clara Young. To find out more about what we've been talking about, go to teachthefuture.uk and mockcop.org. To find out more about OECD's work on education and skills, check us out on Twitter. Our handle is at OECD EDU Skills.